Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Welcome back, weirdos. This is episode number 52, and this is our second time recording episode number 52, actually. Yes, we had a little audio issue yesterday, and um, basically there was no audio. Yeah. (laughs) So we got to talk for like 40 minutes and have it um, really mean nothing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So that was fun. So this is our second round. We are still very excited to deliver this episode to you. It's a really, really good one. Andrew is covering a very interesting pair of subjects for this week. And before we jump into that, we just wanted to say for anyone who doesn't follow us on Instagram and doesn't already know, we hit 3,000 followers on Instagram. Woo-woo! And over 250,000 downloads for the podcast so far. Exactly. And that's downloads since we started tracking analytics less than a year ago, which is incredible. And we just want to say thank you so much to everyone who listens, everyone who has shared the podcast, left a review, recommended it. All of that stuff helps this community grow. And we really appreciate you all. You weirdos are freaking awesome. Yeah. We were talking about how lucky we are that... All the people that we connect with through this podcast are just like really cool and really, really nice people. Yeah, you guys are amazing. Like, I mean, I feel like on the other platforms, mm. there's just a lot of negativity, a lot of toxicity. And here it's just like, just a bunch of love, a bunch yeah. of nerds nerding out on on history. <laughs> just so many people being encouraging, sharing their passions and giving us like awesome weird recommendations of things to look <laughs> yeah. into. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, you guys are so cool. And then without further ado, my love, tell us. I I have no idea what you're going to talk about. You have no idea what I'm going to talk about? (laughs) No. Well. What are you going to regale us with this week? (laughs) Well, that's kind of funny because I feel like we just, we had this conversation already. (laughs) Yeah. So strange. But anyways, (laughs) I'll be talking today about a pair of brothers in ancient Rome who unknowingly set things in motion that would eventually bring about the end of of the roman republic dun 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 that's a big deal yeah it is a big deal it may be a tad hyperbolic but it's not that far-fetched so the late roman republic it was madness Mm. chaos um what do i mean by the late roman republic well it's generally the roughly 120 year period between 146 bc when rome sacked both the cities of carthage and corinth Try saying that fast three times. Carthage, (laughs) Corinth, Carthage. Oh, I I messed up. So between that happening and the ascension of Augustus as the first Roman emperor in 27 BC. Mm -hmm. So this is the time before the emperors. Yeah, this is the time before the emperors. This is the time before your boy? Yes, the beginning portion. Julius Caesar, by the way, was born (laughs) around. Yeah, he's my boy. He's my homeboy. He was born around like 100 BC. Okay. Yeah, and actually, the events of this episode will be taking place before Caesar's birth, even. That's nuts. That's yeah. some old shit. So, and yeah, and again, I kind of just said this, but 
this first portion is from 146 BC to 120 BC, which is usually overlooked and it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But it kind of makes sense because the second, the last portion of the Republic, like the, the last wars of the Republic, I mean, you have some of the most significant players in all of Roman history. So you were Spartacus, Pompey Magnus, Crassus, Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, Cleopatra, and then Augustus. Wow, that's a lot of really big, um, iconic historical figures. Exactly. So, and again, I can talk about Julius Caesar, (laughs) the Wars of the End of the Republic, all day long, but it's not really today's topic. So enough of me rambling. Okay. (laughs) The really two important things that you listeners need to know about the beginning portion of the late Roman Republic are, number one, Rome was by far the most dominant player of the Mediterranean at this point in time. Sure, other powers still existed in the region like Ptolemaic Egypt, but they paled in comparison to the might of Rome. Rome was used to having powerful enemies, which they still did, especially in Gaul or like modern-day France. Mm-hmm. But Rome's biggest enemy would be itself. It's always how it goes. Yeah, Rob Schneider in. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. That was weird. Okay. And then number two, wealth was pouring into Rome like never before. So Rome's conquests in North Africa and Greece during the preceding like 50 or so years mm-hmm. made people unbelievably wealthy. But generally speaking, this only helped the already rich and the poor classes didn't really benefit a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. That's to be expected, isn't it? Right. It really is. Um, we also... So, okay. We cover the groundworks here. Yeah, those are the two big things to remember. Rome is super powerful and the rich are super rich exactly so it's time to introduce that's actually a very good summation so thank you (laughs) it's time to introduce the subjects of today's show tiberius gracchus and gaius gracchus or commonly known as the gracchi brothers that sounds like a good band name the gracchi brothers yeah okay you heard it here, folks. We're going to start a punk rock band called the Grok Eye Brothers. I think one of our brothers would need to be in the band <laughs> yeah. to make no, it. No, wouldn't it be brotherly? amazing if it was just you and me? And when people <laughs> ask, we just, we just like, not answer the question. Yeah, like, why were the Grok Eye Brothers, even though we're husband and wife? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like the white stripes all over again. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> so if you really know your Roman history, you probably are most likely at least know about the Gracchi brothers. However, if you're an actually like a normal person and not a super nerd about Roman history like I am, <laughs> then you probably don't know about them, which is okay. Because you're listening to this. Yeah, you will learn about them now. Exactly. I would argue, though, that they're some of the most influential and important Romans to have ever existed. Wow. Yes. That's a big proclamation. It is, yeah. It's definitely like a... I wouldn't necessarily call it an unpopular opinion, but it's definitely like a dark horse opinion for mm-hmm. sure. So their story is honestly quite fascinating. They came from an incredibly illustrious family on both their both sides, like so mom and dad. Mm-hmm. So their father, Tiberius Sempronius Gracchus, was a two-time consul and celebrated two military triumphs. Basically, a triumph was a baller parade thrown for victorious generals. Mm-hmm. And yes, one of our protagonists is also named Tiberius Sempronius Gracchus. Roman names are really confusing. Like, fathers typically just give their firstborn son the same exact name. Yeah. It's very annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when, you're, when you read, like, oh, there's... You have to usually 
like say like oh it's someone the elder someone the younger always always yeah. you mm-hmm. hear it even and, and on women too yeah even mothers and daughters exactly tend to do that. Mm-hmm. so annoying <laughs> their mother was cornelia who was the daughter of the roman hero scipio africanus the general from the second punic war against carthage yeah uh roman folk hero i mean this guy's probably like like founding father level of like prestige okay. mm-hmm. for romans so fun fact about Cornelia, though, after her husband died, the aforementioned Tiberius Sopronius Gracchus, she received a marriage proposal from Ptolemy VIII, which she turned down. By the way, Ptolemy VIII being pharaoh of Egypt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because she was a virtuous Roman woman, of course. Well, you know, that's at least what propaganda would later on say about her. I think that's super wise, because yeah. obviously being married for most of human history, but definitely in Rome or in Egypt... As a woman means you, like, relinquish independence. Yeah. Right? So that was really smart. Even for a pharaoh, like, no, thank you. I'd rather have my freedom. <laughs> yeah, and plus, I mean, she came from a, a, a rich family. Her husband was probably... Right, she already had means. Exactly. She was comfortable. Like, mm-hmm. she came from means to begin with, and her husband probably, like, added to those means. So she's, like, comfortable. She's like, I don't need you, homie. Yep. Good plus, for Plus, like, Rome was, like... I mean, they were, like, the player of the Mediterranean, so it's like, whatever. Yes. So, anywho, our story in earnest begins at 146 BC, right outside the city of Carthage, Rome's hated rival for over a hundred years. Tiberius is serving under the command of his brother-in-law, Scipio Emilianus, and their siege of the city is almost complete. Wait, which Tiberius is this? So this is the this is like the the protagonist of the story, the, okay. the son. Tiberius, like the father Tiberius is already dead at this okay. point. Yeah. So according to legend, when Roman forces finally breached the walls of Carthage after three years of sieging, Tiberius Gracchus was the first man to scale the wall into the city. Mm, very heroic. Yes, he, he would have been like pretty young at this point, like maybe 18 or something like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Regardless whether this is true or not, it does demonstrate that he was a respected soldier and which took you very far in Roman culture and society. Absolutely. He later comes back to Rome as a hero... Hooray! Yay, Tiberius! According to his brother Gaius, who we will get to later, mm-hmm. described that this was when um, when Tiberius was touring the Tuscan countryside, he would encounter something that would change his life forever. He saw how soldiers were returning home after fighting in Rome's foreign wars. They were greeted by their farms and lands being in disrepair ultimately having to sell it off to wealthy like landowners who were buying it up for pennies on the dollar. Right, and who already had a ton of land. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, when I say pennies on the dollar, I mean that as like a euphemism, not like literally because dollars yeah. didn't exist. So he saw how poorly these veterans were treated when they'd come home, basically. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. a really well way of putting it. Okay. They were treated like crap. And that would be really hard for him to see having just yeah. come, become a veteran himself. Exactly. His literal brothers in arms. Yeah. And he sees them coming home and it's like, oh, wow, you're coming home to like financial ruin. Yeah. Like that's that's the thanks they get for like serving Rome. I'm glad he took notice of that because obviously that wouldn't be his personal situation because of his illustrious family. But Right. Yeah. He came from a very rich family. So this didn't, it wouldn't, this sort of thing wouldn't have affected him. Mm-hmm. So this would later influence his political career. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and again, we're not sure if this is true because it came from Gaius after Tiberius's death, but there's no reason to like doubt it though. Yeah, it's not that crazy. That sounds exactly. like exactly what would have happened. Yeah, it sounds like a very like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that political career that I mentioned looked pretty bright when in 137 BC, uh, Tiberius sent out for Hispania Quiterior, or nearer Spain. <laughs> I had to do my little like Latin pronunciation there. Uh, this was he went on a military campaign. However, this time around, he was not serving under a brilliant military commander like last time. Okay. Long story short, the legions he was a part of were surrounded, and he was forced to broker a truce to not only save his life but the lives of thirty thousand of his fellow soldiers. Oh my gosh! Because his father, Tiberius's father, also named Tiberius, that same <laughs> yes. old, that same father, Tiberius, Daddy Tiberius. <laughs> <laughs> He, since he had dealings with um, these Spaniards, it's weird calling them Spaniards, but like the people of Spain called the Numantines. Okay. Um, they like he had worked with them, yeah, a few decades prior, and like they were on really good terms. The Numantines actually really respected the Gracchi family. Okay. And so, because of Tiberius, they allowed all thirty thousand plus men to leave. Uh, Spain safely and go back home. That's huge. Huge. That speaks a lot to both Tiberiuses, right? Exactly. The, the elder for establishing that reputation and the younger for being able to negotiate that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, and he would have been at this point, what, like mid 20s, maybe? That's nuts. Yeah. I couldn't do that now. No. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, it's nuts. So saving the lives of 30,000 people through tactful negotiations is pretty stellar, right? Yes. Well, not in the eyes of the Senate. They weren't happy. They were furious that Tiberius had apparently acted in such a shameful <laughs> and cowardly way. At least according to these old men who got to sit around all day and not fight. Yes, yes, that's such a good point. But, you know, not being biased or anything. <laughs> After he was literally scolded in the Senate chambers, and yes, he was scolded by these Oof. old men who weren't there and didn't fight, he left and was greeted by thousands of cheering <sighs> fans, though. And these were the family members of those soldiers whose lives he had essentially saved. Wow. Oh my gosh, that shows how out of touch and cruel the senators were. Oh yeah, they totally were. And... They would have rather, they literally would have rather had these 30,000 men die because, so that like it looks Roman honor would have been upheld. Yeah, for optics. That's, yeah, it really, I have feelings. <laughs> I have feelings. <laughs> Little did he know, though, that there was a faction of the Senate that was kind of allied with him that was working on something that would put him right back into the limelight. Okay. Uh, positive so he's not like totally alone in this exactly there's a a minority faction in the senate those are they're kind of like the good guys Mm -hmm. i shouldn't say good guys but you know what i mean they're aligned with tiberius our protagonist here so this group of senators was working on something called the lex agraria or literally like the agrarian law law of the land Mm -hmm. i'm not going to go into details of the law but long story short, it would redistribute the agur publicus, or public lands that belong to the state of Rome, and redistribute it to the poor. And it would also limit uh, how much land that you could hold. And again, like in today's terms, I think it's roughly like 300 acres. Because 
Yeah. <laughs> people owned a lot more than yeah, 300 acres. Yeah, they owned acres. a lot more. And this was wow. public land. Like, and by the way, like, when I say they were occupied, this is illegal. They were technically illegally squatting on public land. These, like, oh, really wealthy landowners. Like, uh-huh, the land of the state that the state had acquired through their conquest. They exactly. were like, this is like, mine. Over the last centuries, right, of domination over Italy. And all this wanted to do was, like help redistribute some of that yeah, land like this for was, everyone, for all for all Roman citizens. Exactly. This was literally public land. So it was like, why don't we just give it to, like, you know, redistribute it to, like, the poor, right? The landless yeah. poor. Um, I mean... That makes sense. It makes sense, yeah. So, again, like, these lands were effectively controlled by these wealthy elite who were in... Most of them were probably in the Senate. <laughs> who who and, wanted people to die And it's when important they to note, war. they were illegally squatting on this land. Mm-hmm. Like, it was not theirs. It's the states. So, unsurprisingly, this was not very super popular amongst most of the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> the people who supported the Lex Agraria were known as the Claudians, named after one of the principal architects of the bill. Excuse me, Appius... Claudius Pulcher, mm-hmm. who, coincidentally or not, was Tiberius's father-in-law. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So two years go by, and like the Senate continuously like is just not a fan of this. Yeah. Why would they be? Yeah. They would have to have like empathy. Exactly. And they're like, <laughs> what is that? Ew. Ew. No. Disgusting. In the meantime, Scipio Emilianus, the general from earlier in the story, is yes. called to put down a res- the resistance in Spain. The same group of people they were fighting, you know, years earlier with Tiberius. Okay. And this time, he goes with Gaius. Oh, Tiberius's little brother. Tiberius's younger brother. So he enters the story here, but again, we'll go. We'll cover him in depth in just a little bit. So. Emilianus also, this is a side note here, Emilianus raised personal legions at his own expense to help ease the burden of the state, which on the surface sounds good, right? Yeah. And this is the first time that anyone has ever done this. Mm. This would become more and more common, though, Mm -hmm. um, in the late Republic. And one of the unintended side effects of this (laughs) was that you would see, like, Roman legionaries becoming more loyal to their general than to the Roman state. Not just their general, their their, their bo- benefactor. Their benefactor. Yeah. That's the word for it. The person who's paying for them. Yeah, literally like of paying course, their salary. You would care more for them. Yeah, you're like, you're my guy. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, let's go back to Tiberius. He stood for the position of Tribune of the Plebs for the year 133 BC and won the position overwhelmingly. Mm-hmm. So Tribune of the Plebs, by the way, is just basically like literally like a man of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know how else to describe it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, the representative? Yeah, you're like, yeah, it's like you're the representative that, like, that is the, like, you're literally, like, supposed to look out for the interests of, like, the common, like, Roman citizen. Okay. Like, the average Roman citizen. Not, like, the super wealthy, mm-hmm. but just, like, the, the plebs, the plebeians. I'm a pleb. I understand this. <laughs> I would like someone to be looking out for my interests too. Exactly. And it's important to know that this was like, sac- they were sacrosanct officials. So like they were like, they were, you couldn't, they were like basically above the law for. Like the Vestal Virgins. Kind of like the Vestal Virgins. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like if someone like were to run up to them and be like, please, can I be under protection? They could be like, yep. And then like, even if they were going to be arrested, they can't be anymore. And you can't uh, put someone to death. Who is sacrosanct. Yeah, well, exactly. You can't even touch them, let okay. alone, like, assault them or anything. Okay. So yeah. it's, like, a very... He got a real nice, safe exactly. position Exactly. It's here. pretty cushy. Yeah. 
So he was, yeah, he ran in 133 BC immediately. Like he won overwhelmingly. Mm-hmm. He was immediately put to work presenting a bill directly to the Roman assembly. And this was that same Lex Agraria bill. Okay. Important to note here that this was a very big deal, mm-hmm. like presenting it directly to the like Roman assembly instead of the Senate, because there was no law that said you had to present it to the Senate first. It's just that that's the way things were done. To present it to the assembly first? To the Senate first, before oh, the assembly. Oh, I see. So it's also, maybe I should also explain, like the Senate isn't like elected, like it is yeah. here in the United States. Like, I mean, it's literally just like the richest people of Rome. Yeah. It's like a club. I mean, literally is kind of like a, a club slash advisory board. Of the elite. Of the elite. It's mm-hmm. like a socioeconomic political class of people. Okay. It's very, very exclusive. It would be almost like you have like Jeff Bezos... Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg, like they're all just the super rich that get to like con- essentially control policy. Yeah, they just meet up and they get to like bicker amongst each other, but that yeah. determines the fate for everybody. Pretty much, yeah. So again, no law that said you had to go to the Senate. It's just the way things were done. This mm-hmm. was called the Romans called it mos maiorum, or like the way of the elders. Mm-hmm. The Senate. This is just normal oper- operating procedure. So. The Senate being difficult, it's no longer an option for Tiberius here. In December of 134 BC, Tiberius gave the speech of a lifetime to the assembly, literally moving people to tears. Hmm. But just as victory was in his grasp, the Senate pulled out a wild card. More than likely, they had bribed the other tribune of the plebs, Marcus Octavius, to veto the bill. Hmm. This is a huge deal because a tribune could veto anything for any reason at any time. And that was that. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, they could be like, I don't want to because I took a poop earlier today. <laughs> Not even joking. Like, that would be like, okay, well, I guess that's that. I guess that's vetoed. Yeah. So the bill died for the time being. Okay. So instead of trying like to play a middle ground to like appease the senators or whatever, mm-hmm. the Claudians just go on like a full blown offensive and made the bill like even more aggressive and just try to make villains of the wealthy. That's not too hard to do. Yeah, it's really not. Yeah. <laughs> Tiberius went uh, like as far as saying that Octavius was vetoing the bill simply because he was illegally squatting on the augur publicus and his motivations were rooted in self-interest. Whether that's true or not is actually unknown. Octavius, in like Tiberius's mind, in the Claudian's mind, just simply had to be removed. So at the next assembly meeting, Tiberius had another bill put forth to depose Marcus Octavius. <laughs> Literally an unprecedented act. He's like, my new bill is to get rid of the guy that vetoed my old bill. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so um, Tiberius was overwhelmingly victorious in this. <laughs> And Octavius barely escaped the mayhem that ensued with his life because at this point he had been stripped of all authority. He was no longer sacrosanct. He was just a common everyday citizen. Right. And like, you know, murders frowned upon, but like it was pretty easy to get away with murder in ancient Rome. So um, anyways, there was also still a while, one last wild card the Senate could play though. And that is they were in charge of appropriating funds for the bureaucracy or the commission that would essentially oversee the law. And they just gave it like a pittance of a budget. Oh, I see. They got to like, they were like, sure, I guess we had to pass this, but we get to 
identify how much funding we give. Exactly. And so they were able to kill it without actually having to kill it. Because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, sure, it's the law of the land, but if there's no budget... You can't do anything. You can't do anything. So yeah. it's just like... You can't make moves. Exactly. So fate, however, would come in pretty strong at this point. King Attalus III of the Kingdom of Pergamum died. And at this point, you're probably saying to yourselves, well, who cares? I, I'm sure many people care. Yeah. <laughs> well, who cares for the story? Okay, right? yeah. And fair. But he had willed his entire kingdom and the royal treasury to the people of Rome upon his death. Wow. Yeah. Why he would do this, I have no idea, but he did. Tiberius then announced something that would lead to his own death, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. A portion of Attalus's estate would be used to not only run the administration of the Lex Agraria, but also be used as startup capital for new landowners. Mm-hmm. At this point, the Senate had enough. So he was like, oh, you guys won't fund us. Then this king dies, wills his money to the people of Rome. He's like, perfect, let's just use this since you guys won't give us funding. And the Senate was pissed. Yeah, the Senate was pissed because the Senate was used to like dealing with like kind of like foreign treaties and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of like cut them out of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they were just like, nope, this is it. Yeah. On the day of the elections... The senators had riled themselves up so much that they gathered in mass with essentially like broken chairs that they had fashioned in clubs and met Tiberius Gracchus and his supporters. So it's also really important to note too that within the ancient like markings of the city of Rome, mm-hmm. like you couldn't carry weapons. Similar to the Dothraki and their exactly. city. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's like... It, you just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, there were so, certain exceptions, like if you were like a dictator, they had you could carry a weapon, but it's very, very like small exception list. So these senators just like are having a temper tantrum, and they're going to harm him anyway. Oh yeah. Um, by the end of the day, three hundred people lay dead. Oh my god! And among them was Tiberius Gracchus, beaten wow. to death. What terrible people! Yeah, literally, like they murdered hundreds of people because they didn't want to like give up (laughs) i mean it wasn't even their money it was like this extra money came in yeah oh my god yeah exactly that's disgusting so this event a lot of historians um pinpoint this event as like the linchpin of like the beginning of the end of the roman republic i'm sure this spread a lot of discontent oh yeah like the senators and their allies had killed a sacrosanct official. Right. Like, no one... You couldn't even, like, touch a tribune of the plebs. The punishment of doing that was death, like, without exception. hmm Like, no one had ever done that to a tribune before. I believe it. Um, and, like, I mean, and to the Romans, it's, it's like, not only just, like, a, like a, a law. Crime. It's not only just a crime. It's a crime against the gods themselves. Mm-hmm. Because, like, with Roman society and, like, Roman political institutions, like, the veil between religion and politics was almost not... It was pretty much non-existent, actually. Yeah. There really wasn't, like, a separation of church and state. It was, like, they were one and the same. hmm So... And here's the thing. There were no repercussions for these men. None of them were put to death, even though that's what you're supposed to do? Exactly. None of them were put to death. None of them get, like, even a slap on the wrist. 
Jeez. Yeah. So that might be the end of Tiberius Gracchus, but we can't tell his story without telling the story of that of his brother, Gaius Gracchus. So we're going to fast forward just a little bit to the year 132 BC. At the age of 22, Gaius Gracchus had a dream. His dead brother came to him and spoke that they were to share one common cause, to be champions of the people, but also to share one same fate. Ooh, ominous. Very ominous. Very Shakespearean. Very. Yeah. So, obviously, historians are like, is this true or not? I don't know. Absolutely. We can't say. 100% true. It's 100% true. Okay, for sure. (laughs) I love how I'm like, we don't know. We can't say you're like, 100% true. But I like to think this is true. So... He had just returned back to Rome from Spain, and it was still, like, less than a year since his brother had been viciously murdered. Mm. Gaius Mm. knew that he just had to continue his brother's work. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things he did was he was called to defend a family friend at court, and his oratory became instant legend status. Oh, he was really good? Like, he was the best. Like, even the much later Cicero, who was a staunch conservative and critic of the Gracchi, called him the best orator of his generation. Like Perry Mason. Like Perry Mason. (laughs) (laughs) The Senate was put on notice that Gaius was here to make some waves. And waves he did make. So in fact, the Senate was so concerned over him that (laughs) he went on assignment with like a commander to Sardinia and they kept on prolonging his stay there. Prolonging the commander's stay because they wanted Gaius just out of Rome. So they kept everyone there just to keep Gaius Yes. Like, and this was like literally unheard of. Like, no one had done something like this since the Second Punic War, like, like decades prior, when they were actually like fighting for their very lives, like against Carthage, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... But here's the thing, like, since his commander was there, like, most Maiorum dictated that he needed to stay there as well. Right, his elder. Until his commander's assignment was complete. Again, this wasn't necessarily the law per se, but it was just the way things were done. However, Gaius, like, after, like, three years, had enough. Three years is a long time to wait. It's a long time. He broke with tradition and came back to Rome, greeted by literally cheering crowds. Oh my gosh. He was nevertheless arrested by censors. And again, just for simplicity's sake, you can think of them as police. They're not, but just for the just for this, you can think of them as like police more or less. And he was made to answer for his supposed quote unquote crime. Which was like abandoning his commander. Oh. Yeah. Oh, because he was like, it's been three years, I'm coming home. Yeah, exactly. And that was the crime. Yeah, that was the quote unquote crime. Okay. So After he got arrested, he made the speech of his life. He argued that when other officials left for foreign posts, they would often exploit the local population to enrich themselves. Whereas he had returned empty-pocketed after he had left years prior with pockets full of money. Mm -hmm. So this just, of course, set him up perfectly for the election of 123 BC to be the next tribune of the plebs to pick up the mantle of his brother. Mm-hmm. He brought forth the images during the election of how his brother was brutally murdered, and it just stirred outrage amongst the populace, right? Because of course, like this man who was a, like a man of the people is was like butchered, and nothing happened to this, these senators, right? Which is like, I don't mean this in a cruel way. That's a good 
card to play. It's a good yeah. reminder. Like, they don't care about you. They didn't even care about your Tribune. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So Gaius easily won the election and became the Tribune of the Plebs in December of 124 BC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also I didn't mention this earlier, but typically when you run for like election of like 123 BC, for example, you take office in the December of the preceding year. So December 124 BC. Okay. So it was here he was now able to implement his ambitious reforms. And ambitious they were. Mm-hmm. He was much more ambitious than even Tiberius was. Oh boy, it didn't end well for Tiberius. <laughs> yeah. Uh, spoiler note, it's not going to end well for Gaius. <laughs> Babe. I know, sorry guys, but just want to prepare you. So essentially he envisioned communities of landless peasants given land and richer folks even given some land to facilitate like commerce up and down the entirety of Italy's coast, organized all by him under the Lex Agraria. That's awesome. Yeah. He also wanted to extend those famous Roman roads all throughout the Italian peninsula as well, connecting all these communities. Yeah, some good roads. Who doesn't love that? Good roads, baby. To satisfy the urban poor, who really honestly didn't care that much about land. Yeah, they're not farmers. Yeah, they're not farmers. Um, He was able to secure a stable supply of cheap grain from Sicily and North Africa. And what he did was, like, he set prices uh, at, like, at at pretty low levels. Like a low fixed price so everyone could afford grain. Exactly. That's amazing. So, in fact, it's funny you mention that. Like, this last piece was so popular for the urban plebs that it became, like, a core political demand for the next, like, 100-plus years. Good for them. Even Julius Caesar did something similar. Yeah. They need grain so they can, like, make the city function yeah exactly yeah you gotta get that green yeah so and for legionaries he made it so that like soldiers were given their arms and equipment by the state's expense and not at their own expense (laughs) very generous i know right which is like today like we're like that's absurd like (laughs) imagine like telling american soldiers yeah you have to pay for like your guns all your own all your own equipment yeah it's like that's ridiculous that's a little ridiculous yeah And lastly, he passed a law stipulating that state contracts in regards to collecting taxes overseas were to be sold by the censors back in Rome instead of the Senate, which Mm. not all of, like, obviously curbed the senatorial power, but it also garnered him some very rich friends as well. Yeah, that makes sense. This isn't super important for the story, but these, these, uh, I guess, businessmen, tax collectors, whatever you want to call them, were called the Publicani. The Publicani? The Publicani. I just like that word, to <laughs> I be do too. The Publicani. They had their own issues, but we're really not going to get into that. So at this point, though, it's, I mean, you can tell here, he has a vast array of political supporters from, like, the rural poor, urban poor, and to these wealthy merchants called the Publicani. <laughs> he also, I didn't get into it either, but, like, he also had um, the people of... What, what we call equestrian rank yeah horses horses it, it actually goes back to like the, during the roman kingdom days like centuries prior it did actually have to do with horses but basically at this point it just meant that you're like you're pretty rich and you're from like a pretty well-respected family but you're not like senatorial rich senatorial like family okay so he's got allies everywhere he, he's got allies like all up and down the political spectrum okay. across like socioeconomic like factors mm-hmm yeah, it's a big, he, he has a very wide base of support. In fact, like, during the, the rest of the Roman Republic, like, big demagogues would use the same strategy for, like, essentially the next hundred years. So he's, like, a trendsetter. 
So as luck would have it, Gaius was re-elected as tribune for the year 122 BC. He was at the height of his political power at this point. I could see why, yeah. Yeah. So in the spring of that year, he left for North Africa to build a Roman colony at the most controversial spot, the site of the former city of Carthage. But here is when everything starts going to crap. Gosh darn it. I know. We can't ever have nice things in in ancient Rome. (laughs) We really can't. So first of all, his trip was just a disaster. Nothing in the planning of the city went right, and it was more like less quickly put on hold. Like, for example, like at one point, they're putting boundary stones for the... Um, like for the outskirts of the city yeah. when they were doing like the planning of it and like wolves came and like picked him up and like ran off with him. I feel like that's not a good sign. Yeah, no, no. The Romans who were incredibly superstitious were like not down with that at all. Me and the Romans. Yeah. Immediately I was like, oh no, I would also, leave. Also <laughs> the post that was supposed to mark like the middle part of the town, uh-huh. like it broke in half during strong winds. They were like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm with the Romans on this one. Yeah. That's a bad sign. I mean, it's funny because like a hundred years after this point, Carthage would actually be rebuilt and become one of the most important like centers during of like the Roman Republic at this point and then like the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. We want to go to Carthage one day. We do, yes. Um, where was I? Oh, that's right. So he comes back to Rome. From his shitty trip. From his shitty trip. Like 80, he's only gone like 70 days or something, 80 days maybe. Mm -hmm. And his political rivals during that time had just offered even more aggressive reforms, uh, that made his look stingy. So for like example, one of those things was like, oh, the land that you're getting from the Lex Agraria, you have to pay like a nominal rent back to the state for that. Mm -hmm. But they made it so that like, oh, they're... You don't have to pay any rent. It's just yours outright. Oh, they're really trying to one-up him. They're just, yeah, they're basically just one-upping him. They're taking his ideas, like, and just being like, you know what? We're going even further. Mm-hmm. So it's not even like they were, like, original. Yeah. So he ran for a third consecutive time or term for being a tribune. Um, one, but based on a technicality, his votes didn't count, and he was disqualified. That's so dumb. Yeah. And worst of all, Lucius Opimius was elected as consul, and he hated the Gracchi with a burning passion. This guy was a real bastard, too. Mm. So, on a fateful day at the Forum, there was a debate whether to like permanently end the colony attempt at Carthage. And a servant of Opimius's was in the thrall. Something happened, but he eventually was stabbed and killed. That's, like, not a debate. <laughs> I know. I'm not, like... I know Roman debates were wild. <laughs> like, if someone gets stabbed, <laughs> yeah, I it's feel like, like you took it too far. Yeah, and then even, like, I think... Poor man. Yeah, I mean, even um, Gaius at this point was like, what are you... Like, to the crowd, like, what are you doing? You just gave them ammo that they need to, like, to go against us. And that's exactly what happened. So, um, the consul, Opimius went in front of the Senate and argued that he should be given emergency powers. Because his servant was stabbed? Because his servant was stabbed. Okay. So, you know, what could possibly go wrong with this, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they did give Opimius, like, basically, like, dictatorial powers, but, like, without giving him the title of dictator. Okay. So which, it's temporary? Yeah. It was temporary. Which, by the way, like, dictator was actually, like, a real position in ancient Rome. Funny enough. Um... Opimius gathered like around 3,000 men and marched on the Aventine Hill where Gaius and his supporters were holed up. Mm. 
So the clash was very short, lasting like maybe five or ten minutes, and like before Jeez. like all hope was lost. Oh my god! Because I mean, like three thousand men, yeah, three thousand men who were like heavily armed, yeah, versus like a ragtag group yeah. on Aventine Hill. Um, Gaius just eventually like, at one point like urged, I think, by his friends and compatriots, just ran for his life. So he fleed across Rome, across the Tiber, but stopped at the sacred grove on the outskirts of the city. And here's just what I want to give a little content warning for. I'm going to be talking about death by suicide. So if you want, you can skip forward about like 30 seconds to a minute mm-hmm. after this is done. So long story short, either he or his his, um, his slave that he had, he had, he he had, had with, with him, him um, one of them basically plunged a knife into his neck. Yeah. Wow. And he died. Oh, that's terrible. And even more. Dis- so even you're saying even if it was the person he had with him, he commanded them to do that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it was like an assisted suicide at best. Yeah, exactly. A suicide or assisted suicide. Disturbingly, once his body was found, his head was fully separated from his body and was filled with lead because he had a literal bounty on his head. That's disgusting. And the way the bounty worked was like he would be paid the weight in gold. Whatever his head weighed? Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's so gross. So, content warning done. Um, so, sadly, this is, you know, the way that the story of the Gracchi brothers end. Mm-hmm. The official end of their lives. The official end of their lives. Mm-hmm. However, though, like, you know, although the Gracchi faction here would immediately, is essentially crushed, right? Their ideals, though, would live on and inspire others. Mm. Most notably, another Gaius. Actually, multiple Gaiuses. But, I'm sure there's so many yeah, of them. There's like three off the top of my head I can name, but one of them is someone you've definitely heard of because I also mentioned him earlier in this podcast, and that is Gaius Julius Caesar, probably the most famous Roman. The most famous Gaius, you might say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and even his heir and successor, the future Augustus, also a Gaius, by the way. Um, it was like a was more somewhat a follower of, of his more so julius caesar but even but octavian as well or augustus so it's kind of this whole thing is kind of ironic because the brothers had absolutely no intention of overthrowing the republic right yeah they wanted to reform they wanted things. just to reform things and and just help the everyday person mm-hmm. right um but it was the senate's unwillingness to compromise to, for even like the most minute things right that led to more ambitious men to make increasingly aggressive plans that eventually led to autocracy. Yeah, and it turned the people against them. Exactly. Like, no one trusted the Senate anymore. Like, yeah, why would you? Yeah, and especially, let's like, oh, like, they just completely disregarded centuries of the way of just decorum. Yeah. Like, there, there had always been, you know... Ancient Rome had always been a little rowdy and stuff, but like when it came to like politics and debate, like up until this point, there was like violence was not is not a thing. Mm, it's not a thing. And then after this point, violence became very much so like par with the course, right? Even Julius Caesar, right? Ides in March, you know. So, anyways, the senators led to their own demise. Yeah, the senators led to the end of the republic. Oh, but the Gracchi brothers' legacy lived on. It lived on, and eventually, like even Julius Caesar, Augustus, and and then even even centuries after that, with uh-huh. the Severan dynasty in the third century A.D., 
they would eventually give all Roman citizenship. Yay! Yeah. And people got that grain. And people got that grain. They yeah. made, it wasn't even at fixed prices. It eventually became, even under Augustus's reign, became like just free grain. See? See, Senate? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't that hard to do, was <laughs> yeah. it? So that is my story for the today. Amazing. Story of the Gracchi brothers. Wow. Who were, yeah, some of my favorite Roman um, characters were, they're not characters, they're real people, but... Figures. Figures, thank you. Super ahead of their time and their way of thinking. and Oh, yeah. Also, it's really incredible that despite having like tons of wealth and privilege and all those things, they were like, well, how do we make Rome better for everybody? Yeah, and so... they literally had to pay for it with their lives. Yeah. Crazy. So my sources uh, for this episode, the first one was... The Storm Before the Storm, a book by Mike Duncan, who is the host of the History of Rome podcast. Yep, it's a great one if you haven't heard yeah, it. Yeah, it's like the first like history podcast I've ever listened to. Super, super easy to understand from like Romulus and Remus all the way to like the fall. It's of great. the Western Empire, yeah. yeah. It's pretty amazing. Um, also, Encyclopedia Britannica, Thought Co., and of course our favorite, Wikipedia. Yay! Thank you so much, babe. I had never heard that story before. <laughs> Today. Today? No, seriously, that was so educational and so, so interesting. Like like you said, like extremely influential figures, but not, no one I had heard of like before you. Yeah, I mean, it's like insanely important for the history of like the Roman Republic and Rome in general. But again, it's just this period's always glossed over because it's like, you know, the sexier time period is like always Spartacus <laughs> or like Julius Caesar, Augustus, you know, Cleopatra. Right. All right. that good stuff. The stuff we see in movies. Yeah. Always to see in movies and TV shows. That was incredible. Thank you so much. And thank you to our wonderful listeners for listening to another episode. If you want to connect with us, we mentioned Instagram earlier. You can follow us on Instagram at History for Weirdos. And you know what to do, our friends. You know, rate review subscribe share all of that good stuff because that continues to help us grow yeah absolutely and until next time weirdos until next time thank you weirdos Adios.